Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. A quick note before the show begins. The audio from these podcasts mostly come from live video YouTube streams on my channel. They may vary in quality from show to show and reference visual content not described to you, the listener. I'm sorry about that. If you prefer video to go with this audio, head over to youtube.com backslash from us, F-R-U-M-E-S-S for the whole enchilada. Who doesn't like a whole enchilada anyway? I said, whoa, all I want is to know, whoa, 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 all I want with just a touch of my burning hand, I send my astro zombies to you know what this land. You know what that prime directive is out there, YouTube land. Hey now, hey now, what's going on? First stream of the month, starting it off right. Been doing a lot of clips lately, just sort of getting all of our eggs in one basket. I guess that's what we've been doing. Patreones, keep your eyes peeled for the latest chapter that we've been reading in the return of the living dead novelization that's for patreons and youtube members alike uh for patreon youtube casualties we have a brand new episode of the lodi files coming at you live not live coming at you uh sooner than later as we continue on logging into views because that's what we do so many fingers in the stew All right, enough of this nonsense. Let's talk about corpses. One of my favorite subjects. Not really. Although I will say, I think one of the best punk rock songs of all time is Code Blue by TSOL. Not just because it's morally bankrupt, but because it's just, I can't think of anything more punk rock than uh, the proclamation in the chorus of the song. Um it's just so snotty and adolescent and it's there for shock value. It's there to make you uh, feel a certain way, catch a certain feeling, but um, we're not talking about uh, those corpses or those kinds of acts tonight. Uh, We're talking about medicine involving corpses and not just any kind of medicine. We're talking about European corpse medicine. Uh, Imagine for a minute, that corpse medicine could promise better health through cannibalism. What a notion. Let us dive in, shall we? Kids, open your textbooks to Atlas Obscura. We're doing another article from them. I love Atlas Obscura. One of my favorite, like, sort of like, did you know, interesting factoid websites. This is written by Natalie Zarelli on October 31st, 2017. It's part of their 31 Days of Halloween Take the fresh, unspotted cadaver of a red-headed man is how this begins. Talk about a sentence that's going to grab you right in and just sort of make you wonder, wonder at it all. Um, <clears throat> in 17th century England, at the age of 23, Richard Baxter, writer of Protestant Christian works, was generally having a bad time. Every day he coughed sometimes spitting blood. He had pains in his stomach. Uh, He suffered from daily flatulence, that that means farts, and joint pains, and had bouts of scurvy, which is a nasty disease, by the way. 
scurvy. You know, we kind of shiver me timbers, scurvy, blah, 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 scurvy kids, yar, 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 that kind of thing. Scurvy is like when you don't have enough vitamin C in your system, let your like joints and like everything that bonds you together, you, you basically start falling apart. Like you, you, you know what it is? It's um your, your scar tissue can't form anymore. So all of like the scars that you've had over the course of your life just start splitting open. It's kind of like, you know, like imagine like a mortal immortal power, like the idea that you're only, you're only you're you're immortal but if something changes then suddenly all every wound you've ever suffered over your vast immortal life uh, reverses itself in like some sort of twisted dorian gray styled looking at the painting and melting into a puddle of oblivion well this is like the mortal version of that whereas you lose you lose out on the vitamin c and your scar, you can't produce any more scar tissue. Your scar tissue dissolves and disintegrates. And before you know it, that nasty cut you got from scraping fish uh, at, you know, at your dad's fishing dock or whatever, whatever you were doing in the 17th or 18th century or, you know, 16th century, that, that old wound, that old wound opens up and you're in deep doo-doo. So that is so so scurvy is a nasty sort of little thing, nasty little sitch right there. Um, so having bouts of scurvy and, and you know, that's why they call them limeys, by the way. That's why it's kind of like a pejorative term you call uh, the British were called limeys because eventually they realized that they could drink lime juice uh, to get the supplement that they needed of vitamin C in order to stave off scurvy yes scurvy dog um but that is i mean that is that's the situation right there right there that's the situation right there um <sighs> bouts of scurvy and to top it all off he often had an achy tooth achy teeth are 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 bad too that's that's frustrating right there so achy teeth as well um he suffered from constant headaches and much of the medicine of his day had no idea what to do with him because people <laughs> go watch the Nick on uh Cinemax. Well, maybe not. I don't know if you can. The Nick with uh, what's his face. Um, oh my God. I'm having a, a, a senile moment. A uh, dude from American horror story uh, with a D begins with a D, a D. Uh, fantastic actor. Uh, he's also in sin city he plays Dwight. Um, Dylan, Dylan McDermott is the name uh, where they just don't know anything about like germs and they're like operating on people into people's cavities with like bare hands. It's like so grotesque and scary. In any case, they yeah, they, uh, medicine had no idea what to do with this guy. We're talking about Richard Baxter here. So he did what anyone else in his time under the circumstances. He tried some more potent cures made out of human corpses. Yay. Baxter's ailments plagued him in the middle of an increase in medical cures in Europe made from human body parts and blood from corpses as ingredients now called corpse medicine. The use of dead bodies in medicine had had been simmering in the medical community since around the year 25 in parts of the ancient Rome Empire. So you're talking about a practice that is nearly 2000 years old, or at least a practice that's more closer to 2000 years old than it is say 1000 years old or 1500 years old. Um, 
wow, since the year 25 in parts of the ancient Rome empire, they've been using corpse medicine with more organized and widespread use in Europe since the 1200s, lasting in dwindling practice into the 1890s. So it was as late as the 1890s, people were consuming corpse for medicinal purposes. Over the centuries, physicians experimented with their corpse-related remedies. Human remains became a cure for anything from gout to deep wounds. They just make this up. Oh, yeah, you need to need cure gout? Eat some intestines. Oh, you have some deep wounds? Uh, down a couple of toenails and call me in the morning. <laughs> I mean... The, the insanity, the insanity of the notion. Uh, Richard Sugg writes of all this medical macabre, macabrely. Oh, I like that word. In his book, Mummies, Cannibals and Vampires, some recipes for corpse medicine cures have survived over a very long time. Human body parts have been used in medicine around the world at various points in history. But Europe's corpse medicine heritage seems to have a, have largely stemmed from ancient Rome. So, you know, just real quick, just to add to that, an extension, at least maybe like if, if, if there's a branch, if there's a tree of medicine, right. Or pseudoscience medicine, whatever you want to call it. One branch is this corpse medicine on another branch. You have, you know, people are grinding up, you know, um, the organs of uh, the mating organs of like tigers, you know, um, for potency, a lot of potency stuff, a lot of Eastern medicine. Um, they're, they're, they have they have like, you know, these supplements like like ivory from tusks is used in stuff. You know what I mean? Um, I had heard about Egyptian mummies being ground up into powder and that being a supplement, um, but not like what they're discussing here. In any case, all of this stuff, all of the European stuff, it stems from Rome. And as Rome was the empire that covered most, if not all of Europe 2000 year, years ago, right? So I guess that kind of makes sense. Sug writes that in ancient Rome, the equivalent of medical professionals at the time advised drinking blood straight from a freshly perished gladiator. This is straight up vampirism. You know, we wonder how did, how, how did people come up with vampires? I mean, look no further, you know, and similar practices continued through the middle ages. When Baxter suffered a fit of bleeding, he was cured by applying moss that had been growing on a human skull. So it's like, take some moss from a, from, take some moss that was grown on a human skull, place it on the area, apply to the area, and voila, you're all good to promote hair growth for anyone with a receding hairline. I, I, I better listen to this one because my hairline is most certainly receding. Um, liquor of hair would help hair grow while powdered hair taken orally was thought to help cure jaw jaundice jaundice we hear this word i hear this word often that that's when you look yellow but i don't know why let's look it up real quick <clears throat> a medical condition with yellowing of the skin or whites of the eyes arising from excess of pigment uh bill bilribin and typically caused by obstruction of the bile duct by liver disease or by excessive breakdown of the red blood cells. Wow. That is, that's some weird, wacky, wild stuff right there uh, for anyone developing. So basically the, 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 the modest operandi is, Oh, you're losing your hair. Eat some hair, you know, <laughs> like 
whatever it is. Um, for, for anyone developing cataracts in old age, human excrement could be grounded to a power. <laughs> hey, let's take some human excrement, ground it into a powder and rub it in her eyeballs, right, Sug? After which you would blow it into the eye. I'm sure that didn't cause any pink eye. Look at this dude. Look at his eyes. He's he's not having it, man. He's not having a good time. Look at those pudgy sausage fingers. This is a doctor. This is Parcellus. Paracellus. The Famoso doctor. Yeah, right. When people ate ground up body parts and body fluids, they believed that they were using powerful bodily forces to cure another body system issue. So that's ultimately it's like everything that you hear about, like vampirism, like you need to consume. Well, they say, you know, a vampire consumes blood because they don't have enough. They have a vitamin D deficiency or whatever. I mean, there's a there's a thousand ways to try and like, you know, uh, come up with some sort of pseudoscientific reason why a supernatural creature does what it does. But um, ultimately, all of these things are sort of vampiric in nature, kind of similar to how um, what's her name? Uh, Bathory um the countess who who used the blood of virgins to uh, uh for as a fa- fountain of youth because it made her skin supposedly made her skin look 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 all nice so paracelsus para paracelsus was a 16th century swiss physician with fat sausage fingers and a father of toxicology believed that to cure an ailment, you needed to treat it with something similar. And many of the corpse medicine using doctors followed this lead. To prevent tooth decay, someone could wear a tooth taken from a corpse and wear it around his or her neck or touch the corpse's tooth to one's own. So it's that simple. Sometimes, I mean, this is just, this is just crazy. This is literally craziness. You know, it's funny, like, I mean, this when I think about quackery, here's quackery for you. To, um, uh, la, 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 la. Sometimes, according to Sug, the belief that like cures like was in effect. But at other times, the cure. So it's like if you get stabbed by <laughs> if you get stabbed by a knife, if you just rub a knife on the wound, you'll be like you'll be good as new. You know, take some bullets and rub them over bullet holes. Uh, like cures like was in effect, but at other times the cure seems to have little to do with uh, with which body part it came from and everything to do with the mystical nature of dead bodies. Kings and commoners alike were interested in this whole mysterious court medicine business. And King Charles II of England was apparently very fond of using human skull in a concoction known as King's Drops. The recipe was simple. Take a human skull and powder it into a fine dust. Add alcohol to form an extract and drink it down. So, you know, when you get like Madagascar vanilla beans or whatever, they come in an alcoholic solution because alcohol has the ability to extract the essence of the flavor, the smell of something. That's how they make perfumes. You know, you name it. That's how they do it. So they're basically extracting the essence of a skull uh, using or you could just call it skull shots. Right. Um <laughs> Angus McWhorter says, what about excrement? Question mark. Gigi Allen would have had a ball. <laughs> You're so right. He would have loved that. He would have absolutely loved it. He would have been, he would have, fa- he found the, the cure for immortal. He would have been immortal. 
the 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 um he would have solved the the problem right he would have been just walking the earth for a thousand years just sampling his his excrement and whatnot um what's what, what's going on rumorg they do call us walking corpses unholy living dead so uh on his deathbed sug writes that charles second's doctors frank uh frantically use these drops along with a barrage of herbal enemas to uh and treatments to no avail so as he was dying on his deathbed this dude you know whether it was the doctors doing it or charles himself was just torturing himself by getting herbal you know solutions shoved up his you know butt because you know uh as an enema you know he's basically just taking it up the coast in order to get like you know uh to to extract it although apparently that is like a really good way that's a really good way to um you know again uh if you are into imbibing drugs like like of like the cannabis variety you can brew cannabis into a tea you know put it in a turkey baster you know stick it up where the sun don't shine and the cavity walls of your inner rectum will it'll go the thc goes right into your bloodstream and you will be high as a kite it's a a a quite an effective way to soak in drugs um and if that is your modus operandi then more power to you wonderful in any case poor charles is taking these herbal animals i mean here's the thing like it's like, do you really want to be doing any like sort of physicality like that on your deathbed? It's like you're on your deathbed. You're like not feeling very well. You got to get up. You got to bend over. They got to shove the tube up there and, you know, squirt, squirt in all sorts of stuff to get it, you know, to get it going. It's like not like, what do you want that for? Dude, just, you know, lie down and be comfortable. You know what I mean? Like uh, instead of like going to all this trouble um when it's kind of futile maybe i don't know it sounds like they were doing it in a last-ditch effort to to save him um but it just sounds like disturbing a man on his deathbed with um uh, uh, something that requires um you know a sense of physicality to get to 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 maneuver the the procedure and it just seems like uh, what's the point i don't know i mean if he was fully you know if, if he had stood a chance of surviving i'd say hey you know, open, open up, man. Take, take two, three, four enemas daily, make it happen, you know, but it's like, if you're in your deathbed, what's the point? Like why disturb them? And then they were also doing the drops too. The drops lived on and they were sold in shops in London through the 1700s for what 18th century physicians called nervous complaints. They just made stuff up. And then this this is literally how you get all those snake oils, right? But you know what's funny? You don't hear any snake oil enemas, right? Like, I feel like in the 1800s, it just went out of fashion. Like, it was not, even though it's the most effective way to take in a solution. I mean, that's what a that's what a, a suppository is. You ever see um, uh, in uh, train spotting? He has the heroin suppositories. You know, if you've ever taken a suppository, I've I've had to do suppositories in the past. And what they do is they just dissolve. You stick them up there, they dissolve and whew, right as rain. Um, if you have trouble swallowing pills, suppositum. Supp- I don't know if I don't know if oral medicine will work. It's like <laughs> it's going at, it's going from ass to mouth. It's not ass to mouth. It's mouth to ass. 
<laughs> Sorry, I cracked myself up. <laughs> so ridiculous. Um, that's why I love reading these articles because you just like find so many ways to like riff on them and stuff. Um, but they just would make this stuff up. Make this stuff up. Snake oil enemas. That's something I want to see. Uh, if there is an example, I want to read about it. I'm very curious to know what what they how that how that worked. In some cases, physicians added exotic chocolate or other herbs into the mix, but the skull was key to curing epilepsy, various bouts of bleeding, and was believed that it could, at the last moments of one's life, prevent death. Okay. So this is why our friend Charles II was doing the drops and the enemas to no avail because he thought legitimately it was going to prevent death. That's I, I would say that is pretty understandable, all things considered. Um, I wonder if Glenn Danzig knows about the skull medicine, if he's down with it. It sounds like something Glenn would be into. Yeah, skulls, that's right. I just take a couple of these drops. I uh, put them in my eyeballs and you know, everything's okay. Uh, if you're reading this in gross fascination, you might be asking, where did they get the bodies? According to Sug, all over the gruesome place, mummies were sometimes, oh, so, so there you go. That's what I was talking about. The mummies were sometimes looted and shipped from Egypt. But since those were in short supply, a local made mummified body would do the trick. So they're mummifying people locally just to like get in on this like, you know, get in on the uh, whatchamacallit on the, uh, uh, the the trade. Often the specific social role of a person in life dictated what their body was used, usually an executed criminal or one of the poor. In the UK, the Irish who were, mo- mo- I can't say that word, maligned, mo- maligned, I, can't, I know what it is, I just can't say it, maligned, and colorized by England were, were a possible common source. Sug writes, that a 17th century physician named John Pommet of England noted that a specific moss found on skulls imported to England and Germany was from Ireland. These skulls, which were crushed into a fine powder, were used in wounds to stop bleeding and as a salve. Though Sug points out that any starcher powder would generally stop the bleeding. So maybe if you grind up the skull, it's kind of like a starchy substance or whatever. There you go. There's a painting of the dude. This dude, corpse medicine practitioner John Tradescant, the younger with a moss-covered skull. How about them apples? So there you go. He's got he's got a skull right up in that piece right there. Um what else? Corpses were also taken from wars and criminals and criminal executions. So so I guess after a bloody battle is fought, there are all sorts of trickle down. Would you call this a trickle down economy? Right. It's a trickle down economy. The, the big war is fought. Everybody dies. Whoever does, whoever, you know, uh, th- then you get the, uh, the the ghouls. And what I mean by a ghoul is someone who like, you know, sort of. Uh, desecrates uh, a, a dead body or a dead grave or whatever. And you, there's like, you know, picking up skulls, collecting skulls, collecting body parts. Why? They got to chop them up, turn them into medicine. Uh, dissection and corpse medicine became somewhat socially intertwined with bodies dug straight from the ground. While some doctors uh, may have drawn the line at preying on actual marked graves, 
dug by families of deceased rather than those of unclaimed bodies, bones and skulls were clearly in considerable demand around this time, and not everyone had the luck to live so close to an anonymous burial mound. Insinuating that people were going, were catch as catch can when it came to skulls and bodies. If you, you know, if your relative passed away and got buried in a thing, and it's like, yo, I need some money, gotta get make that bread. And I don't mean make that bread like make that money. I mean like literally bake some bread, like make that bread, not bread made from skull dust, because we already did that episode. Like you're going to go down and you're going to rob that grave. As a matter of fact, that would be a great idea for a screenplay. I love it already. If the mummy supply from abroad was lacking, it was an easy fix to prepare one from scratch. One recipe promoted by German physician Johann Schroeder in his 17th century medical tomb, Pharmacopoeia Medico Chimica, is blatant about the uses of certain bodies over others in mummy making. So here is one of those things. Now, I believe it said it, it was a, a German physician, but instead of reading it in a German accent, I'm going to do it in an English one because I can't. Well, maybe I could do German. Let me try. Take the fresh, unspotted cadaver of a red-headed man. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. Take the fresh, unspotted cadaver of a red-headed man, because in them the blood is thinner and the flesh, hence more excellent, aged about 24, who has been executed and died a violent death. Let the corpse lie one day and night in the sun and the moon, but the weather must be good. Cut the flesh into pieces and sprinkle it with a mirth and just a little aloe. Uh, then soak in spirits of wine for several days, hang it up for six to ten hours, soak it again in spirits of wine, and then let the pieces dry in dry air in a shady spot. Thus, they will be similar to smoked meat and will not stink. So, <laughs> I mean, like, this is, there. This this sounds like a recipe for preparing, like, you know, like some sort of animal. You know what I mean? So, I mean, people are being butchered after they die and prepared in a culinary sort of way for medicinal medicine. Um, I agree, Biz. Medical practices back then were scary as hell. Whether doctors had bona fide Egyptian mummy or a locally sourced version on hand, they made use of every piece for their practice. Every single piece. So every single piece. The dong. Like everything got grounded up. Tushy, titties, all of it. Lips, asshole, all of it. All of it got grounded up. All of it went down, down the gullet. Some corpse medicine treatments seemed to have nothing to do with the ailments. Yeah, that, that's, you know, fingernails, skull, mistletoe, and a penary root were believed to help cure epilepsy uh, though you could always try dried human heart, of course, you know, try dried human heart. Yeah, obviously. Um, or Sug writes, if you want to get fancier with your cures. Now, if you want to get fancier with your cures, you could infuse water with lily, lavender, malmsey, and three pounds of human brain. Don't you love how that sounds? Like, imagine I that was a terrible Southern accent, but imagine like, Who's that southern, that racist southern, southern lady who got in trouble with all the butter? 
She always cooks with the butter. I forget her name. Paula Dean. Imagine Paula Dean, but she's practicing medicine in the 1800s. And she's, you know, just doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And, um, okay, first what we're going to do is going to take a pound of butter. We're just going to lay it out flat. Then we're going to take a little bit of lily and lavender and malmsey and three pounds of your human brain. Of course, that's the gray matter. You don't want to use the medulla oblongata now. The whole corpse could be dried and sold as one piece. So then you got like wholesale corpse. It's like, hey, just like it's just straight up dried. Cor- it's literally corpse grinding. Like so you're just, It's like, hey, just cut a little bit off of the big block, right? The whole corpse could be dried and sold as one piece, which Schroeder recommended to other doctors, lest they be cheated with subpar materials. <laughs> Rue likes that fancy, <laughs> fancier. Uh, the laugh of hers is pure evil. Yeah, she's an evil lady. Um, and you know what they say. She makes lots of sweet treats and sweet treats are sticky. And you know what else is sticky, guys? Stickers. But I want to tell you something. We're not just doing the normal old sticky stickers. I got a package the other day. Do you see this? You see this package I got? What's in the box, Jeff? Jeff, what's in the box? Jeff, what is in the box? Look at this. What's in the box, Jeff? Jeff, what's in the box? Jeff, Jeff, what's in the box? Jeff, what's in the box? What's up, Walter White? How you doing? We're talking about what's in my box. What's in my box? I'm going to tell you. Let's First, we got to open it. We got to open it up. Oh, yeah, baby. You like that? Now, that's a knife right there. Okay, let's open this up. Just slicing the sucker open. Just like a fresh human corpse. Oh, my goodness. Well, no wonder it was so sticky. I was wondering what was in here. Look what we got from Riot Stickers. Riotstickers.com. Yo, check out my Riot Stickers from Riotstickers.com. Dude, the stickers are riotacious, man. Look at these things. They, They came out so nicely. So we actually have a sticker to show you. We're running a promotion with riotstickers.com. I don't know if these are the exact size. I don't know if this is three inches. This looks like two inches by three inches. So this is a two by three incher. So the stickers that we're doing a promotion for are actually, I believe, bigger than this. Of course, Rue, you're going to get one. Rue, just um, uh, send me your uh, text me or send me your address, and I will send you a, a few from a stickers. Of course, Rue. Just just, just get, get me your info, and I'll send some over for you, okay? Friggin' supporter like this, dude. I'm going to send him. I'll send you a nice little care package with some stickers in it. Um, so these are beautiful, man. They came out. They're glossy. They got a nice glossy finish. Um, I, I, I love them. I, this is my new design. If you could see, that's my face there in the moon. Remember how we were doing the moon face? I got to fix, I gotta fix my, uh, my logo here. See that? Changed it up. And if you'll notice whose handwriting that is, that's Glenn Danzig's handwriting. <coughs> really liking my new logo. So this is the new logo. You know what I should have done and I didn't think to? I should have put um, the YouTube channel down below, but I didn't think to do that. That's okay. It's still really cool. I'm so grateful 
to riotstickers.com. Uh, what a fantastic sponsor. So let me tell you about the promotion that we're doing with riotstickers.com. I've gone crazy. I've gone crazy. I got stickers coming out of my wazoo. Um, what we're doing is you can get 50 three inch by three inch stickers. Look at these. Look at these puppies. You see that? You hear that? Fresh bills, fresh, clean bills. You can get three, uh, sorry, you can get 50 stickers for $29.50. Normally, normally that's $59, $59. And again, look at the quality. See how shiny this is? Do you see the shine, the gloss, the veneer? I mean, th this is some nice vinyl stickerage. So normally that would cost you $59. But when you use the promo code from us and the special link that's down in the description here, use the special link down in the description here, you're going to get these for $29.50. And they're bigger than this one. This is two. I'm, I'm positive. This is three inches right here. So it's this by this long. So it's really more like that's your total sticker. That's what your sticker is going to look like. That's the real estate you're going to have. This is the real estate you're going to be working with, I believe, riotstickers.com, okay? Which makes sense because that's what I, I, I my, the, the first order of stickers that I did with riotstickers.com, um, that, that was the size of them. Um, so check out riotstickers.com. Link down in the description. Um, use the promo code from us and let's sing the fancy song. Wow, I, I love those. Th big shout out to Sharpie Riot for the for the stickers. They're just they're gorgeous. They're gorgeous. Thank you again. So glad to have. My, I'm going to be slap slapping those every which way that I can. So anyway, back to our regularly scheduled. What's up, JD? How you doing? JD's throwing horns. Biz says, "Good to know. Corpse medicine is a dead practice." Whoa, zinger! That's a zinger right there. All right, let's get back at it, guys. Let's we, we let's finish this. So look, check this out. This is a 17th century drawing, uh, a depiction of mummies in their sarcophagi. I have actually been to Egypt and I have been inside pyramids, but that's a story for another day. Um, <laughs> when Rome, Biz says, when when in Rome, do not always do as the Romans do. Ain't it the truth? Ain't it the truth? But I mean, look, this is all the rage. No, notice what they call how they spell mommies. It's M-O-M-I-E-S. Mummies. 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 Oh, I guess it's kind of like the French way of saying it. Um, 
even the less preservable parts of the body were used. An ointment of human fat and cinnabar was said to cure patients of various ailments, including hydrophobia, now commonly known as rabies. <laughs> so they thought hydrophobia was rabies. I mean, this is how crazy, like people thought like, you know, we, again, we always complain about today's world and we should, you should complain about today's world just because you have it better than other people doesn't mean you shouldn't complain about your circumstances. That's not like a cue to say, then, you know, shut the F up. You should be grateful for what you have. While it's good to have some gratitude, you should still stand up for, you know, uh, having it better. Like we should all have better, you know what I mean? In that kind of way. However, it is also good to look at the history as a reference to realize to contextualize our grievances and understand that, like, look, at least we didn't live in an age where they mistaked rabies for hydrophobia or they were consuming, you know, um, uh, bodies for, for medicinal reasons. So, I mean, like, you know, like, again, it's it's all, you know, it's grass is always greener on the other side. Um to prepare human fat for use in this uh, in this ointment, uh, 18th century French pharmacist uh, Comte Antoine Francois de Fourcroy called for cutting the fat into pieces with membranes and vessels separated. I mean, this is butchery, man. In his book, Elements of Chemistry and Natural History, in which he cites physicians using human fat in cures around Europe. After the fat was washed in water and allowed to melt, ugh, it was poured into a glazed earthen vessel to solidify. So you're like rendering and re-rendering fat for Croy adds helpfully that 28 ounces of human fat lends to lends about 20 ounces of oil. So you can distill 28 ounces of human fat into 20 ounces of your of your oil. Medical benefits surrounding corpse medicine were sometimes uh, to put it mildly at odds with other cultural or religious beliefs during corp, corpse medicine's popularity. Sugg points out that 17th century Europeans decried cannibalism and used accusations of cannibalism against colonized people as justification for violence. So, you know, England and other countries, France and Spain, they're off out there colonizing the world, these imperial nations, and using uh, uh, practices of cannibalism, either real or imaginary, as a means for needing to, and I say this in quotes, civilize uh, people that they, and putting this again in quotes, uh, considered to be savages with their savage ways. And yet back home, it's just another example in human history of people, <coughs> excuse me, my throat. It's another example in human history of people claiming one thing, like look at all the medieval churches. They were like, um, you know, they preached all these, you know, values that were aligned with, you know, Christianity. And then they were going off and like, you know, burning witches and seeing if people float and, you know, going into the Middle East and, you know, um, uh, trying to take back Jerusalem and like slaughtering thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions in the name of Christ and then getting it all prayed away so that they could get into heaven. Like just like all sorts of stuff like that. You know, I mean, there's just always 
there's always some sort of hypocrisy. And here's another, here's a perfect example of that hypocrisy in the form of cannibalism. We're going to, we're going to colonize you because you've practiced this in the past. And while our cannibalism is, is justified because we do it for our so perceived medicine. What's up, Amy? Amy's in the chat throwing horns and skulls. We're talking about cannibalism as a medical practice in 17th century Europe. Humans are able to, and in fact do all the time, carry these contradictory ideas, explains Zoe Crossland, uh, an archaeologist and associate professor of anthropology at Columbia University. Even uh, Protestant Christians who decried the cannibalism implied by the Catholic uh, Eutychrist. All right, so, and again, I am not Christian. I don't, uh, and I don't want to offend any Christians out there. And I want to treat your rituals with the utmost respect, even if they are not my own. My understanding is that the Eucharist and the 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 idea behind um, mass, Catholic mass or mass in general. And again, anybody out there, anybody out there, please correct me because I again not, don't know and want to come from a place of respect, truthfully. The idea is you are the wine and the wafer that you consume uh, undergoes a process called transubstantiation, right? And transubstantiation is this essentially this process that there's no explanation. One might consider it to be supernatural, uh, magical, some sort of thing, um, you know, or a process that we don't understand that the God does, right? Something like that. Um, and transforms it into the actual blood and actual flesh of Christ. And then you are to consume it uh, in this act. You are embodied. It says, eat a uh, drink of my blood and eat of my flesh, something like that. And the 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 catholic eucharist and to the point where like you know you're supposed to spit the wine out right or something like all that stuff that they would spit out or all the unused stuff had to be burned in in a in a special like it would all go down a sink and then they would take out a a, a piece of pipe in the sink that caught all the bits of what of debris and then that would have to get burned consecrated in uh not consecrated Consecrated is not the right word. Had to be ceremonially burned, burned because it was technically, it was pieces of God, as understood by Christians. As far as I understand, as far as I understand, and anybody wants to correct me, correct me. I don't know. I'm not claiming to know. Here. Uh, I find it fascinating though. So what they're saying is even Protestant Christians who decried the cannibalism implied by the Catholic Eucharist, which was a huge debate in the 1600s could easily separate their religious beliefs from their desires for the best cures around. So people would compartmentalize that. I'm going to look up the actual word of Eucharist. Yeah. Okay. So the Eucharist is the Christ Christian service ceremony or sacrament commemorating the last supper in which bread and wine are consecrated and consumed. However, yeah, and it says the bread and the wine are referred to as the body and the blood of Christ. Though many theological controversy has focused on how substantially or symbolically that this is to be interpreted. So some 
theologians, theologians will say it's supposed to be symbolic and it's not literal. While others would say, no, you are literally consuming the body and the blood of Christ. The service of worship is also called the Holy Communion or chiefly in Protestant tradition, the Lord's Supper or Mass. or, And then here you go. Transubstantiation is right here. That's that word we were talking about. Uh, I wonder if it'll let me look up. No, it's not going to let me work up, look up that word. Uh, but transubstantiation is that process where it tr- it it changes. It turns into something else. Um, fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Crossland notes that while many relationships between religion and medicine may have existed in Taylor's time, medical cannibalism and its relationship to his religion may not have been clear, especially if the medicine didn't come directly from his Christian community's dogma. He may not have even articulated or seen this as contradictory as we do now, she says. So here's a dude, they're they're dissecting. This is a medical class. That's what you did. Took a cadaver, opened him up, Hey, look, these are the intestines. Here's the rib cage, spleen, liver, you know, lungs, whatever else. This is all the stuff. It's how you learned about bodies. This is what they were doing, 16th century, 15th century. Um, you know how we have the term um, astronaut, which is like an explorer of the of space? They should have one like cadaver not, like people that were like opening up human beings and like exploring the frontier of the human body for the first time in, in a scientific way, right? Isn't that kind of trippy to think about? In Europe, the autopsy was growing in popularity as a way to learn about the body, but medical dissection was often seen as punishment to the dead and reserved for those considered undesirable in society. Some of the hype around corpse medicine grew from a mix of folks, folk beliefs and medieval practices. Blood was believed to be such a powerful substance that it was collected at the gallows straight from the recently executed. The practice of corpse medicine waned over time, but it lasted in small bursts for centuries after its heyday. Sometimes any, and I'm sure in, in far off remote places where this stuff is sort of passed down through like, families and stuff you know whatever like passed down in like small communities that that maybe some of these traditions might still survive even to this day maybe who knows sometimes any substance that touched or came from a dead body was seen as potentially healing even into the 19th century in uk an 1893 collection of folk cures explains that coffin water is considered good for warts just because it was water that was soaking in a coffin. And the water uh, with which a corpse has been washed had been recently given to a man in Glasgow as a, as a remedy for fits. So a fit, <laughs> a fit, like a misfit. No, like a fit. Let's see what a fit said. Fit, fits are um, a sudden uncontrollable, uncontrollable outbreak of intense emotion, laughter, coughing, or other activity. So it's an uncontrollable outbreak of intense emotion. I know what a fit is, but if you ask me to define it, like that's not easy to do. Um, and and so a guy is having fits, these uncontrollable bursts of emotions, and they're like, hey man, here, have some water that was washed, that was used to wash up corpse. That'll cure your fit. Crazy. Um, Angus McHorder says... Thankfully, when I took communion in the esophageal 
church as a kid, it was only bread, a real wine, which I am now, uh, I am now considering, I now consider myself a pagan. Ha ha. So, um, yeah, man. I mean, that's cool. I kind of consider myself to be pagan as well. I say on my, uh, on here all the time about how I'm a Jew and I am, you, you, you never stop being a Jew. If you're born a Jew, you go through the circumcision, all that, you get promised you're your Jew. You're a Jew to the day you die. But um, I'm considering myself to be much more than just a Jew. And I guess I, I'm more pagan than anything else. I consider myself to be. I identify uh, in that sort of way as well. Um, I don't know, like a like a humanist, naturist. I just I believe in all that sort of stuff. You know what I mean? Um, so so I I yeah, man. So biz it's 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 not it's not i mean i feel like there's a lot of people like us out there you know who who are just into that i i just i believe in nature man you know for take it for what it means you know i believe well we've had we went down a whole rabbit hole last week go go look at that to see what i believe i'm not gonna go through all that again but i believe i believe in a lot of stuff um <clears throat> the the practice of corpse medicine waned over time but it lasted in small all right we already read that part uh richard baxter relied on the most current medical knowledge of his day to alleviate his pains but uh so do we while we might cringe at these corp corpse medicine cures medical practitioners in the u.s and the uk still involve human body parts including organ donation engineering fat cells for medicine corpse donated dental grafts and human blood we don't necessarily take it orally. This, you know, I got to tell you, the, the writer, the writer really um, sort of nails it home here with by bringing it back around, saying that here we've just spent all this time sort of g like gawking and guffawing at these these crazy practices. When in reality, we are still consuming human body parts, but we do it with science, with proven science, you know, in particular you know, um, organ donation. We're still putting body parts into other body parts and it gives life engineering fat cells, uh, stem cell research, right? We're consuming, you know, bodies in order to, you know, however stem cell stuff works in a variety of ways, stem cell therapies and stuff, right? Um, it's just interesting. It's just interesting how it's still going on. Uh, corpse donated dental grafts and human blood, you know, again, you're given blood and you're consuming blood, except we're, we're doing it in in the right. Uh, we're, we're we're using our the, our correct blood type, so it doesn't hurt us. We're not leaking our blood out into because we consider it to be bad blood. We're taking the blood out because we want to put it in someone else who has the same blood type as us, so that they can have more blood. Necessarily take it orally, but we do use blood in all sorts of ways with inoculations and blood transfusions among them. I mean, yeah, like, I mean, yeah, dude. Crossland says, pointing out that some uh, some similarities to how people thought of those cures of old, we get it from the living, not from the dead, but we don't view that as cannibalistic. We see that as part of the medical world. I really want to hand it to the writer here for just sort of taking it home with that. You know, it's like meant to be like a gawky, like freak article, like, oh, look at these. Oh, these people from a long time ago used to do those. Natalie, Natalie did a great job. Natalie Zarelli of for Atlas Obscura. Um, JD says Jewish people are really smart. Yes, they are. I mean, that's a blanket 
that's a blanket statement. There are many who, you know, it's just like anybody else. We have our, we have our smarties and we have our, our dummies, but you know, um, you will see a, a high percentage, a high percentage of Nobel P it's not Nobel prize winners are Jewish, something like that. Um, that again is a gross generalization that I shouldn't make. I don't think I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that stuff works. I'm just going to shut up. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to talk about that. Right. Semantics. Exactly. Um, okay. So, so there's that. And then one last thing before we, before we roll out of here, let's, we're going to skim this one. I, this is from the Smithsonian and it's, it's similar to what we were just going through. We like to be thorough here. Let's go through this one over here. Obadiah. So this is the gruesome history of eating corpses as medicine. The question was not, should you eat human flesh, says one historian, but what sort of flesh should you eat? And is it really long? I'm not going to read through it. Uh, the last line of a 17th century poem by John Doan prompted uh, Louise Noble's quests. Woman, the line read, are not only sweetness and wit, but mummy possessed. What? Oh, my Lord. Um, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Noble's new book, Medical Cannibalism in Early Modern English Literature and Culture, and another by Richard. So this is also uh, takes from Richard Sugg, who we we're just reading about from that book reveals that for several hundred years peaking. So it peaked in 16th and 17th centuries uh, where many Europeans, including royalty priests and scientists routinely ingested remains containing human bones, blood, fat as medicine for everything from headaches to epilepsy, but consuming like orally consuming, um, blah, 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 you know, Mummy stolen from Egyptian to tombs, right? The question was not, should you eat human flesh, but what sort of flesh you eat? My Lord. Uh, the answer at first was Egyptian mummy, which was crumbled into, uh, oh my God, tinctures to staunch internal bleeding. But other parts of the body soon followed. Um, blood was procured as fresh as possible in a pre pre age of of of, um, of refrigeration. Mark, you got to turn on your notifications, buddy. That that will that will solve the problem. That will solve the problem. Uh, I'm just skimming this, guys. I'm not looking to read this whole thing. However, consuming human remains fit with the leading medical theories of the day. It emerged from homeopathic ideas. Homeopathic. That was the word I meant to use in the previous one. Homeopathic ideas, says Noble. It's like, like cures like. Right, right, right. Um, another reason human human remains were considered potent was because they were thought to consider the spirit of the body from which they were taken. Right. So spirit comes into play too. Spirit was considered a very real part of uh, physolo uh, physiology. Physiology? Is that physiology? Physiology. Uh, linking the body and the soul. In this context, blood was especially powerful. They thought that the blood carried the soul, and it did so in the form of vaporous spirits. Woo! Vaporous spirits. Um, even a corpse, even at corpse medicine's peak, two groups were demonized. You know what it sounds like? 
it sounds like Natalie wrote her article from this article. That's what it sounds like to me. She rewrote it, but the all the content is the same. All the content. There's no point. There's no point. It's just redundant. It's just redundant. <clears throat> so I hope you enjoyed. I hope you enjoyed tonight's broadcast discussing corpse medicine. JD says, hey, from us, can you investigate the Anazazi cannibals from the Southwest U.S. They're a huge contra- There's a huge controversy for that. Yeah, I'll check it out. I'm not going to do it now, but I'll definitely check it out. Um, glad you like the stickers. I have more. Like I said, <clears throat> check out uh, ridestickers.com for some stickers. We are the bomb. Just to let you know, uh, if you didn't see my post today, uh, Mr. Jim of the Misfits uh, from the Static Age era is coming on the show next week. He's going to be on Tuesday. I know Jim. I've known Jim for 12 years now. Jim and I go back a long ways. Um, super nice guy. First guy I ever interviewed in my life. It was the first interview I ever did was Mr. Jim. And, and you know, I've interviewed. I, I want to say that I've interviewed over 100 people now, which may not seem like a, a lot, but, you know, it's it's a substantial number, I think. And um, thank you, JD. Great, great suggestion. So I'm very excited to have Mr. Jim on the show. And it's a first because we've never actually had a member of the Misfits on this channel. We've had members of Sam Hain. We've had members of Danzig. We've never had a member of the actual band, the Misfits. I did do a show with Bobby Steele. Bobby Steele and Diana Steele are supposed to come on at some point and do an episode of Pizza Punk, but we never can seem to line that up. But that will happen at some point in the future as well. Um, but I'm just, I'm very excited. We're just going to do a real, real heavy episode on the static age. So if you're down with static age misfits, you're going to love it. That's going to be on a Tuesday. That's next Tuesday. I think it's February 8th or February 9th, whatever it is. It's a week from now, a week from today. All right. So you have a week to get you. So make sure you're subscribed to the channel, turn on notifications, get that all ready. Like I said, I have a brand new episode of the Lodi files for anybody who was a YouTube casualty on the channel that's coming up real soon. And if you've been following along, we have been reading return of the living dead. <clears throat> Got a th- frog in my throat. We've been reading along to the return of the living dead novelization with a little bit of commentary along the way. And that's been really, really fun. Uh, the book is very different from the movie. Uh, and that the, the first episode of that will be premiering. That will be just dropping. Um, we, we've, we're about a month in, so like every week, one chapter will drop as I read a new chapter. So if you want to get the latest chapters, you got to uh, wait uh, at least a month before you can read to the next chapter. So um, if you don't feel like waiting, you can sign up, join the YouTube casualties either on YouTube or on Patreon. We, we have a Patreon as well. Um Tune in tomorrow night. We're doing a we're doing a beef show. We're talking about Corey Taylor from Slipknot and Machine Gun Kelly, two guys that I know zero about, which is kind of why I want to do the show because I'm completely unbiased in 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 my judgment. It's going to be Judge Jeffrey tomorrow night. That's what I'm going to call myself, uh, where we weigh in and decide who is right in the matter of the beef. How about that? That's what we're going to be doing. That's I feel pretty good about that. Um, so make sure you check that out. So peace, hair grease, and most importantly, what is Patreon? Find out now. 
Do you want this to keep going, you guys? Do you want this to keep going? Do you want this to keep going? You guys get the picture. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. So I've decided to make a Patreon. What is Patreon? I don't know how to define a Patreon. Let me look it up. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it very easy for creators to get paid for the things that they're already creating. I want to do it full-time. I want this to be my full-time job. In my efforts to make that happen, I've set up this platform. Is it going to work? Is it gonna be successful? I don't know, but I would rather try and crash and burn than not try at all. The goal is to create enough passive revenue so that I can continue to do this full-time, uninterrupted. Why? Because I love to do this. I love creating content. I love making videos. I love shooting films. I love doing podcasts. In case you couldn't tell, I love to talk and I never shut the fuck up. <laughs> so right now I've kept the Patreon incredibly simple. There's two tiers and that may change in the future. The Murdergram is a simple way to extend support for all of the hours and hours of free content on the channel for nothing more than a dollar. 38 cents goes to Patreon. What's a buck 38, eh? It's less than a cup of coffee. But it's a great way that you can show support for very little effort. When you divide that dollar 38 by the hours and hours and hours of time spent listening to this endless drivel of content, the dollar cost average works out. Next up is the YouTube casualty for $6.66. The YouTube casualty is loaded to the gills. Enjoy the archive ad-free as well as ad-free early access to special docu-style podcast videos, music reaction commentaries, and the like a month before they drop on YouTube, loaded with ads, I might add. You're also going to get exclusive content and behind the scenes content that is not available on YouTube or anywhere else. So you get to peek behind the veil. And believe me, there's a couple of choice pieces. Most of all, more than anything, whether you join the Patreon or not, I just want to thank each and every one of you that comes to the channel, that watches all the shows, that leaves comments, that participates, that subscribes. That's really the most important thing. This is just trying to find a way to earn a living as an artist. And with that, thank you for my TED Talk. Join the Patreon, because we need you! 66 cents.